Welcome back to Restless. My name is Father Joseph Gill, priest of the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you've joined Diane, Paul, and Carmelina as together we seek the face of Christ in the midst of today's crazy world. Part of the craziness is that, you know, I think nobody gets through life unscathed. You know, we, we got, <laughs> I mean, there's so much, so many wounds that we carry, right? You know, from our parents, from our siblings, from family and friends growing up, whatever, from our peers, just from the way life kind of buffets us, whether it's, you know, um, you know, feel, feelings of rejection or, or hurt or wounds, whatever. And like, what are some of the things that some young adults struggle with in terms of their, like their interior life? Well, I think nowadays there's a lot of divorce, right? So mm. that's one thing that I think a lot of people are scarred from. Yeah, that's, that can be, their, yeah. pa- their parent. You're talking about their parent, parents, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I guess like for themselves, maybe re- rejection, you know, at, at school, in relationships. Um, I, I think that's one of the biggest things, you know, just not being, uh, yeah, just, just feeling rejected, I guess. I think comparison goes along with that mm-hmm. because – we're in an age where so many people have social media, they have coworkers, peers, friends, and it's so easy to compare oneself to the achievements or images of others, which may kind of cause feelings of inadequacy or feelings of rejection or I don't know. It, it seems like kind of in addition to that, a lot of people our age aren't as confrontational, maybe either. Things happen passively through text or mm. word of mouth, gossip things. So when things kind of happen in through back doors, I guess, truth gets construed, whether in that person's head or just around. And then I think, you know, that becomes a toxic environment for people. I'd imagine that, um, I mean, I think probably both genders experience uh, that kind of comparison Mm -hmm. differently, but I'd imagine women really struggle with that. I think so too. And I, I think it depends on a lot of stuff where, where this this goes back to one podcast we just did where the benefit of women kind of living at home and staying there for a long time you're sheltered from a lot of the comparability depending on you know what type of family you grow up in but I do think that that's kind of a a good that's a very good thing because if you go to college right away and you live there you're all of a sudden surrounded by other women social media all of these pressures and and yeah especially if you go to public school there's just a lot of stuff happening it's like hmm should I be doing this or should I not be? And you kind of find yourself, especially me not having sisters, learning from the women around you. And you have to choose whether or not you're going to follow and be one because you think it's cool because you're like, oh, maybe I should be doing that because you're comparing yourself. But yeah. maybe not. I don't know. I was just I was reading uh, online today. I guess the I, I was not reading this, but the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition came out and I was not reading it, just to be clear. But but what, what was and they were just kind of remarking about it because, like, I guess they have a plus size model and like, look at the great equality we have now. And I'm thinking, like, how how far we we've advanced, you know, in women's rights, and yet now we're st- and we're still holding this up as somehow a good thing, like that we have these that they have these women who are just simply parading around their bodies. And that I'm sure is where a lot of the comparison comes in because it's probably a lot of uh, based on body image. A lot of body image, yeah. I think I would. I would think so. Yeah. It has a lot to do with how I think you're also formed as a woman, what's important to you, whether or not you're pursuing the faith and I don't know, nature versus nurture as well. Yeah. So it depends why I guess you want to look a certain way too. Mm. Is it for a spouse? Is it because it's important to take care of yourself in general? Is it because you're being pressured by society? So 
it can be for a variety of reasons. I would say it probably goes back to the, the rejection piece, like because mm-hmm. we're all really looking for love. Yeah. And so we interpret intention as love. Right. Definitely. And I mean, those things, the that the comparison that Carmen's talking about leads to, you know, eating disorders, drug use, alcohol abuse, um, just, just a lot of other addictions and, and problems as well. So, Sure, sure. I don't know. Do men struggle with that, Paul? I don't know. Um, in different ways, I would say. I don't know if, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if body image is as big of an issue. I think that, um, I think, I mean, I, I could talk about myself. So I would say that, like, Growing up, I would never have considered myself part of like the cool kids. Um, now I went to a Catholic school, and my class was forty six kids or something like that, and like half were in my crew. There was two cliques. It was like half half the guys were like were who I hung out with, and then there was the other half. Um, and and so it kind of starts then. So I would say that over time, I would say that's the real thing is that um, like uh, what I've experienced is is that there's no. So when I, let me just talk about, so like when I, when I do something, I try to think about like, if I'm going to invite somebody to something, cause that's like a form of rejection or acceptance, right? I always think about like, would that person want to be there and actually would want to get an invite to be that, be, be there. And so that's the, that's what I've always looked at because, you know, I always felt now, I don't know if this is my own perception or if it's been, or if it's true. And I, there's probably a little bit of both, but I've always felt like I've been, like I've always gone through periods of just being systematically excluded from things um, over time. And this is like 20 years of data. So, and some of it I'm sure is perception and wrong and some of it's could be true. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and so I would say that that, that's a different, it, it's just a different type of thing. And it's because like, I don't know, like, especially in groups of guys, like it's very practical and it's like, well, we don't want that person there because they're not fun. So therefore, like, <laughs> why would we invite them? Um, and yes. uh, and and I think that's where it comes in more than more than anything. Um, so kind of like that. Yeah, I mean, like I still remember poorly, you know, being picked last for all the sports uh, for a long time. Then I got better. But. Yeah, it's it's kind of like that. Yeah, uh, it takes different shapes and sizes over time. But yeah, and I think different guys have different like things that are important to them. Like for me, it was for me it was sports. Yeah. Like when I was rejected for sports, I felt I took that very personally. Yeah. See, like that never bothered me. I know I was always last to be picked for everything and it was fine because I didn't care. Mm. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I always cared a lot. <laughs> yeah. So that that didn't that never that never bothered me. But I remember one uh, I'm a musician and so I would go to like professional adjudicate, not professional, but I'd go to adjudications often for different bands and things or just to get adjudicated and you get a score. And that's hard when you don't make the cut for score to get into like the high level concert band as opposed to the wind ensemble versus the symphonic band and like that's hard and you see your friends above you and like i don't know there's there's that there but it's my own doing right because i didn't do very well in the audition or something um but um but you know that's that's kind of that's where i've seen it that's fair that's fair yeah yeah and for girls too i think it's it's pretty easy to feel excluded um i think people are girls can be very passive aggressive and whether or not it's intentional i mean it, it definitely hurts when you're excluded from things and um you know and, and you and you wonder like why uh so i think that's definitely a wound that continues through adulthood that i that i hear a lot of people talking about sure yeah, that's so interesting because like so i remember about three years ago i went through a period of systematic exclusion and i know this one's true because i actually i confronted it i'm like what is going on here and i was told i'm like i was told flat out it was like my coworkers, and i was told flat out we don't want you around just Whoa. straight out like we'll work with you but we don't want you around did they give a reason 
like you're weird and like you're you just it's like bad vibes and so fine bad vibes and that so it's like it's probably good it's, it was good because they weren't like they're they're great guys i'm not like they're not christian obviously and like well, it's not obvious but they're not christian and, <laughs> uh, and it, it kind of tracks yeah. right and and um and i probably shouldn't have been hanging out with them anymore anyway like mm, i had matured fair. past that so it was probably a good thing but it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt at sure. the same time but i i, I, I confronted it head-on and um and i got answers and they were hard to hear i bet yeah yeah, yeah. I think we should start talking about what we should do when we like in the face of rejection, right? Is that? Yeah, but yeah. I, I mean, I'll say there's rejection's only one of many wounds. I mean, I'll say one thing I struggle with is trusting people. I think rejection goes into trust too. It's like because you have mm. to. Well, there's been betrayals, yeah. Yeah. And I guess you could say that's mm-hmm. it's a form of rejection, I suppose, but mm-hmm. that's just way way in which it manifests itself, you know. Yeah, trust is hard. Yeah, yeah, and then and be. then you you do bring that into f- other relationships unfairly, I think you know to to people because of your own wounds, you know, and you kind of project that on another person who, um, you know, especially w- with the trust issue, that lack of trust will could harm your future relationships mm-hmm. unfairly. Definitely. Yeah, like again, living in community, like we had we had talked about at another time, where it's your a lot of times your 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 behaviors and your actions are being shaped by how you've experienced things in the past and it's up to you and i see this a lot living in community where it's like oh this person did it's a lot of it's subconscious right where someone says something or does something and you react kind of like you recoil and it's like why am i doing that it's like oh this one time in the past someone did something that really hurt me am i going to choose to subject this new person to that, or am I going to give them the benefit of the doubt, be charitable, um, and choose to love them in spite of this past wound that I've experienced that could be shaping my future actions? Sure. And even with the same person, right? Especially, mm-hmm. I think, as women, you remember things that oh, have happened. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know I'm very sensitive, and, mm-hmm. and that's something that I've had to work on and still work on, you know, of just not feeling the hurt. Um, absolutely and women women do a lot with words too men mm-hmm. fight with their fists and men cause wounds I think a lot physically that's how they and they're and then they're cool it's like let me punch you in the face and then <laughs> let me walk away um, but women kind of just fight with words and sometimes I think that can those be are deeper wounds and oh yeah it takes a lot especially when you live in close community it's you know gossip is causes a ton of wounds and and it's very painful to hear things that other people say about others or, or maybe yourself. And it's like, what are you going to do with this? Yeah. Are you going to take it on? Are you going to be in silence and love them anyway? And then what, what I always keep in mind is I read The Power of Silence uh, by Cardinal Sarah, and he talks about what Jesus did when he was getting condemned. And in the face of blasphemy and false accusations, he didn't say anything. But, you know, he could do that, I think, because he had such a secure identity of who he was. Mm-hmm. And as human beings, I think the rest of us who aren't divine are still trying to figure that out. Right. And we figure that out by how other people react to us. And we also figure it out by making mistakes, too. It's yeah. like, hey, this yeah. one time I did actually, you know, get really mad and went up to that person and probably wasn't worth it. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. Or I let myself be bothered by it. And wow, that was kind of a waste of emotional energy. I would say that, you know, just going to your point on words, that one thing I've learned about myself in probably the past 10 years, but 
particularly in the past maybe five years, um, especially working at my current job with the people I work with, is that so I'm five foot five and 145 pounds. Like I'm not the person punching anyone in the face because <laughs> I will get creamed. Um, and uh, so I've learned to use my words though, and I have the I've learned um, that, and I it was it was completely I was completely unaware of it. So something I had to learn that. I have the ability to use, I have a very good memory, and I also, I can craft my words in such a way that they are extremely convincing, convincingly hurtful. Mm. And I've learned that I can do that. And I, I really watch it. So I usually shut my mouth. That's a big thing. Um, because I, I, I can do that. And so, um, and I think that's because I, I had, either it's true or perceived, like, always a feeling that, like, a, a low self-esteem and always a feeling of rejection throughout my whole childhood. And so I had to learn like as a defensive mechanism, I learned to use my words very effectively and I didn't really notice that I was doing it very effectively. You know, what's funny though. I bet everybody probably in the entire world feels a sense of rejection. Like we think we're the only ones sometimes, don't we? I, I don't think I've ever felt that way. Oh, never. Maybe not. No, because okay. I, I don't. I don't. And when I ever think for one second that my suffering and my rejection, because I've had some serious like blatant rejections in my life too. And I'm sure most of us have. But when I think about like that type of suffering, it's like I always meet someone who's experienced it in such a more profound way mm. and have looked at them and just chose the cross and chose to kiss that cross and trust God in it. And and yeah, and it, it really makes me rethink how I'm going to respond and see myself in the face of of rejection and in those types of circumstances really I mean absolutely the one time I actually it's it's sister Olga where I felt like I was suffering profoundly and I thought wow I know that I I feel like I'm suffering but she has suffered immensely more just tragedy in her life and so I called her and I said how do how do I do this well how do I carry this well because I know you've you've suffered rejection mm -hmm. in so many different ways on every angle um yeah so. wow you learn from that. That's good. So speaking of learning from, and how do we, so these are the wounds that we carry, but, but what about like the ways in which they're healed? Jesus, that sounds so <laughs> blanket, but let me, let me, let me elaborate. Please explain. Okay. So I, I guess the, I think we're, we're getting people, like we live in a world that's fallen. So we're going to be constantly wounded, constantly misinterpreting things, constantly seeing through the lens of our hurt selves and all of that stuff. And I remember there was this time in college where I just experienced absolute rejection after absolute rejection. It was just guy I thought I was going to marry said, I'm just not into you at all. You are not the softball player that I thought you were done. Coach literally looked at me in the face probably a week later and was like, you're not good enough. You never will be. I don't ever want to see you again. I kind of want to punch you in the face. I'm kind of, I'm really done with you. And it was just constant, constant. I mean, it was that seems just, a bit extreme. There. It was, it, I <laughs> mean, like I you, you could not face. make this up. It was, it was, you could not make this up. And it was, I was offered an internship two weeks later when I was too injured to play. And they said, you know what, Carm, that was never an official offer. So we're going to rescind that from you. Oh no. Um, and it was just constant parents didn't know what was going on things were kind of falling apart and it was in that moment that I just kind of like opened my hands and was like okay Jesus I'm listening because I'm nothing I feel like I'm just kind of the outcast here I don't I don't know who I am because all the things that shaped what I thought I was are, are no longer existent and he just came in and mm. I was like wow and I, I started to find ways as I got into scripture to unite 
wounds that I had experienced to the cross. And what it did was it opened me up because what convicted me the most was like, oh my gosh, Jesus experienced the most profound rejection. And yet he still opened his hands and opened his arms on the cross. Mm. And I thought, wow, like that's what we're called to do. That's how we're called to live. And it just opened me up to experience and to like love others by the grace of God in such a deeper capacity to where, yeah, like I'll continue to face what I perceive as rejections, but it's like, no, we're still called to love in spite of that. And I'm not saying that everybody can do that and everybody should be doing that, but really that's where the healing lies. It's looking at Jesus on the cross and asking for strength in those areas because um, y- you are loved and we are we are infinitely loved so much so that he, he died for each of us, so. Hmm. That's a great insight. I've always kind of added a, a second thing because I think, you know, and and praise God that he gave you such a direct experience of that love. It was a miracle. And, and it really was. And he just continues to to show me how to love deeply, even in the face of what I feel like is rejection from from others. What what I think and yeah. just continue because I meet people like this one family who kind of adopted me in Connecticut. They're just amazing. And I watch them just love effortlessly and totally freely and just continue to like give and give and give of themselves. And the same learning from religious life, like you just give and give and give despite knowing that the people you're giving to will never be able to love you in the way that you fully desire to be loved. And like that's kind of a rejection, too. It's like, well, in order to do that, I think you need to experience Jesus's love. Yes, absolutely. I don't think, yeah. As human beings, we can't, we can't love without being loved back. So if it's not going to be from the people that we're loving, it's Mm got to be from Christ. Absolutely. But I will say it's sometimes hard to do that because Mm -hmm. not everyone, you know, there's been many times in my life I've gone to Jesus and been like, Jesus, I'm hurting right now. I need your strength. And I just feel silence, you know, (laughs) like, God, where are you? And there's like sometimes long periods of silence of, yeah. You know, so so I think there's another way in which God kind of heals us, and that is that is by giving us um, the opposite messages mm. through through the sometimes the people in our life. You know, so so if we have experienced that rejection, I found great healing through feeling like I found a community. Mm-hmm. You know, and that can that can kind of undo some of the lies. I think you know, or, you know, if, if I'm struggling with um, trusting people, then what what has undone some of those lies is having the ability to trust because there are people that are trustworthy and that have shown themselves trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's important to not oversimplify. I think Carmelina had a great grace there, but I think, you know, for the most part, people really struggle with suffering and accepting the cross uh, until death. And I think that's in a way a grace as well, at least for me, I've learned sort of like dependence on God and, and surrendering to uh, to his will for my life, right? And so if I if I said that like, oh, I'm like, I'm totally good in every situation and completely made it, I think the pride for me would, would step in of like, I'm, I'm good, I don't need God. And, and the, you know, suffering really does teach you dependence, trust, surrender uh, to circumstances that we wouldn't have chose, chosen for ourselves. Um, and often the cross is, uh, I've found in my experience, while difficult emotionally, um, you know, God does bring a good out of those rejections that we experience. Um, and I think that he knows what is best for our salvation. And I see looking back on experiences like a purification of things that, you know, I was I was too attached to how this person um, 
you know, uh, just, you know, like thoughts about this person or whatever. Uh, yeah, to people, to whether it's something physical in terms of possessions. Um, there's some sort of like, at least in my experience, been a disordered attachment that he, uh, you know, is is working on freeing me from from through those you know you know those experiences of suffering uh, yeah i just think of carmelina's example you know if if you had ended up marrying that guy that's what know, i'm saying that would, was, that would have completely changed the trajectory of your life and your current fiance would be pretty lonely I, I was just gonna say that it's like i am so thankful for all of those rejections that i did face because they weren't leading me to heaven it mm. wasn't the right path to heaven like the sport the the career that i thought i wanted the guy that i thought i wanted to marry none of it was was leading me to what really mattered which was god and yeah, it really hurt. And it, it hurt so bad in the moment for years and years and years. It took me so long to really seek healing and find that identity apart from those things that had shaped it before and to really love in spite of that rejection. But at the same time, it's it was so necessary because I, my life, I would not be here right now sure. in Connecticut doing what I'm doing right now, which I am so deeply happy and so deeply grateful for that. Now, in today's modern world, there's kind of two, especially among millennials and, and generations below us, there's kind of two different um, views on wounds. You know, some people say, well, you just tough it out. You know, just everyone gets hurt, you know, just kind of grit your teeth and get through it. The other side is the snowflakes, right, <laughs> who are like, ah, I'm going to cry at everything. And, and I mean, both of those have are extremes. So kind of like, how do you kind of integrate them? I mean, should you kind of tough it out because you do have those wounds or, you know, well, I think you like you have to emotions you don't necessarily have complete control over. Emotions happen uh they just they they happen automatically. You know, if you get angry at something, it's not like you're like I want to be angry right now. It's not necessarily how it works. Maybe sometimes. Um, but <laughs> but it's not but I but just I think about it, politics. <laughs> right, yeah, well. Um and I think it's, you know, you have to but but it's what you do with that. And I think that's what um is the difference between different groups of people and how they might interpret that like are we gonna if if you have this wound and it's and it's and it's causing an issue in your life and it and you have an emotional and it's causing an emotion of some sort or a group of emotions like that's okay like that happens it's it's what's next and and i think there is a modern there is a modern proclivity to have the world adapt to your wounds Mm. right as opposed to taking somewhat responsibility or like giving it up to God and saying like, no, please help me work through these. And, you know, whatever this is, this is happening to me for a reason. And like figure out what, like what's working, what, 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 what's the Lord trying to do in our hearts to, 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 to help us heal and grow stronger and closer to him. So, and I think that's the two different things, but I think like just uh, requiring that the world adapt to you, I think isn't necessarily the, isn't going to happen. And, and sometimes it's maybe not the best option because there might be something better there for you, for yeah. person, you know? Uh, some of you, do any of you know uh, Dr. Greg Vitaro? Yes. yes. From the Catholic Psych Institute mm-hmm. in Greenwich. Uh, mm-hmm. There's your free promotion of the day, Dr. Greg. <laughs> we used to be a parishioner at St. John's, and uh, he has he had a great insight when talking about this. He says, you know, it's okay to feel the pain because in today's world, we want to numb the pain, get rid of the pain, but actually you should feel what you're feeling. Absolutely. Like if you're feeling depressed, it's actually okay to be depressed for good reason obviously there's you know there's a psychological piece it's, psychiatric it's the psychiatric reason, reason yeah, yeah. Okay, then you get help but but if you're you know your boyfriend just left you it's okay to feel the hurt like mm-hmm. you don't have to self-medicate and that's when i think it becomes dangerous when we start self-medicating over these wounds because because how we deal like if we've got wounds 
we're going to deal with them somewhere or the other. We're either going to ignore them or they become kind of festering and bigger mm-hmm. problems, or we're going to try to compensate by some sort of behavior that's not healthy and not good. Yeah, and, and Jesus wants to be Savior, right? So it's an opportunity to let him do what he most desires to do, which is to save us from ourselves often. But I think, too, with the the whole snowflake you know, idea, um, I, I do think that in society today there is a very strong like false sense of, of pride and, and self-centeredness in terms of, you know, like how could this be happening to me um, and dwelling on sort of our own. And I'm not trying to downplay because there are people who are carrying tremendous crosses, but I'm speaking of my own experience of when I get wrapped up in it um it's it's kind of like i am closing in on myself and um yeah i mean i do think there's an opportunity there to, to kind of step back and to ask yourself you know what, what what is god trying to do here in terms of purification or uh like detachment from like me being sort of the center of the world yeah my um my brother suffered from really bad um I've brought him up on the program before but you know he suffered from really terrible chronic depression from probably I don't know my mom will yell at me because I'll get it wrong but probably from the time he was about twelve uh, <laughs> onward maybe even before that oh my gosh. um but yeah so it was um certainly teenage years uh and he suffered from bipolar and he had substance abuse and alcoholism a lot of that was to dull the pain that he was feeling and and I think he had like we were saying like psychiatric issues where like medication was a a reasonable solution for him um but it's hard to tell because we never I mean he ended up um he he died by suicide but like he he carried serious wounds with him for a very long time and it was hard like and I realized that over time like that actually was became part of my wounds Mm. because I lived with it and I didn't realize that for like 20 I I was 22 when I really realized that or probably 21 um, when I realized that it actually had an impact on my life. Um, but to witness that, you know, and to see him go through his life, like, I mean, I, I kind of, I have a lot of empathy for people that are in these situations where they're just terribly depressed and they, and they don't have, they, it's like, it's almost like, I don't know if it's true, but man, it seems like the devil just completely takes over and there's no light there. And it's really hard. It's really hard to see. Um, it can be very hard to pick apart the spiritual from the psychological. Very hard, and, and it's like it, and you need really good therapists and psychi- psychiatrists and priests and you know people that are really supportive there. And and you know some like my brother didn't really have that; wasn't seeking it out. Um, he had psychiatrists and therapists and stuff, and some did good, some did more harm than good. Yeah, um, it was really hard. Well, I always tell people when they come to me for counseling that, that as human beings, we're made of body, mind, and soul. And all yeah. three of those have to be working well for us to have a sense of well-being. So like with anything, if we have depression, we need to look at, okay, is there a biological cause? You know, am I eating right, sleeping well, exercising, you know, doing mm-hmm. the things necessary physically? Then you look at, you know, okay, psychologically, is, it, is there a way to change my thinking? Is it, you know, what they used to call stinking thinking, you know, <laughs> being a pessimist and, and having these lines of thought that are not healthy? And then you do look at the spiritual life, which I think is an important piece that a lot of psychologists miss. Oh, the for sure. secular things yeah, that yeah. that you know your spiritual life actually does impact your emotional well-being and your physical well-being, and, and when you're in the state of grace, everything is so much brighter because you have hope. Mm. Yeah, and I think there's a big need. There's a huge shortage of Catholic therapists, and oh are there gosh. even Catholic psychiatrists? A few like MDs that will write prescriptions or not write prescriptions. A few, but not few, many. Not many. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. So when do you think that you need uh, professional help when you're dealing with a wound? 
Well, I think I think it's it's never a bad idea to have um, a Rolodex of people that you can rely. Maybe not professional, but certainly you know if you're close with your priest or religious, um, that's not a bad option. Although Father Joseph is now laughing because he doesn't want to deal with us or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think there's there's people that you can if you can find people that you can trust that you know are are grounded in the faith then. It's probably not a bad place to start. And I think to your point, I mean, when you work through sort of some of the physical stuff, so like getting better sleep, eating mm. better, exercising, and these things are still not going away. Also, you know, if you live in community with your friends and they know you pretty well or your family and they know you pretty well, I think it's very easy for sometimes we're not the most objective people. So you have other people who come up to you maybe. And and, and that's why I think it's really important to be aware of, you know, friends, family, um, we're talking about some of these mass shootings and stuff, and it's like, did the family did the family see a pattern? You know, and usually and, they do. Yeah, they do. exactly. And they just so, don't do anything. Yeah, yeah, so so it is really I, th- I think as something for us to be conscious about, um, not just with our own wounds, but like you know, just in, in terms of charity to neighbor, of um, not being afraid to confront someone if you see, you know, if you think that they're really struggling. Sure, that for me honestly is one of the hardest things uh, as being a priest is that. You know, and maybe it's just you know, being a man, you want to solve problems. Yeah. And when someone comes to you with a problem, usually you just have to accompany them through it. I can't take away your depression. I can't lift it by saying something. And so I always feel very impotent when people come to me for psychiatric uh, counseling. And it's hard because you you do want to fix it, but at the end of the day, there are some things that you know you just have to. And, and as 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 the person suffering too, I think there needs to be sort of an acknowledgement of uh, humbling in in a way of that you know I, I can't do this on my own, and I need to go and seek help. Yeah, I've listened to and read a lot of Jordan Peterson over time, and so he he, he I love when he talks about his clinical his clinical days. He doesn't do clinical anymore, but mm. when he was with people and accompanying them and trying to like work through their, and he, he, he would solve, but this would take years, you know, it's not just one day. Right. It's like, okay, you have no friends. Okay. Well, let's, let's try to find you a friend. <laughs> let's create a plan to find you a friend, you know? Yeah. And then he goes through that and it's like, you know, and you kind of keep, and that's how he would, and it would take a long time and it's a lot of accompaniment. It is. And, you know, I've always been very struck by this, this scene from John's gospel where Jesus goes up to that man who's paralyzed and he says, do you want to get well? Well, like, of course, I mean, the man's been paralyzed for 38 years, but wait a second. Why has he been paralyzed for 38 years? When, remember that was the, where they're like, the, when the water was like a little stirred up, he'd go down there. Mm-hmm. And I think Jesus is asking a legit question. Like, do you really, do you really want to be healed? Are you willing to make the sacrifices and the changes necessary to be healed? And that for me is frustrating is because people do come to me with these issues. I have no friends. Okay, well, let's make a plan. No, it's not going to work. You know, it's, I've tried that. Well, you know, I mean, if you don't want to be real healed, and I think sometimes our, in our wounds, we're just comfortable in them because that's, that's become our identity. Yeah, mm. comfortable in the darkness. We've owned it. Fantastic point. Mm-hmm. So we've got to want it because Christ does want to heal us. But that can be scary because that means we have to step out of our comfort zone and do mm-hmm. things we don't necessarily feel comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. So my challenge for you is this. You know, we can't run from our wounds, but we can bring them to Jesus. So run with your wounds to Christ. Ask him to heal them and to accompany you on the process of healing. Sometimes that takes talking to a friend. Sometimes that takes, uh, you know, keeping our eyes out for the ways in which God is healing us through our everyday life. Sometimes that does take going to a therapist, but also taking having the will to want to be free and the will to want to be healed because Christ wants to do it. He wants us to get out of this life uh, as new as possible. 
Although one image that's always struck me is that when Christ raised, rose from the dead, his wounds are still visible. But not a sign of pain, but a sign of glory. And so will ours be in everlasting life. You can find us on Veritas Catholic Network, which is 1350 AM, also 103.5 FM, and wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in next time. <laughs>